0: Warning this podcast episode contains explicit content, including swearing, discussion of sexual violence and rape, and other adult content.
1: Welcome to Crow Club, a Shadow and Bone and Grishaverse podcast. We will be covering all of the Grishaverse, and it will be full of spoilers. No, really, we will have lots of spoilers. We'll be discussing the original Shadow and Bone trilogy, the Six of Crows duology, the King of Scars duology, season one of the Shadow and Bone Netflix show, and even Demon in the Woods, The Tailor, and The Language of Thorns. We'll be covering a character, topic, arc, or wild conspiracy theory in each show. So bust out your tinfoil hats and join us.
2: We're a group of three friends who have spent years reading the books in the Grishaverse together and discussing them. Our group chat passed over 5,000 messages in the month after the book Rule of Wolves and the Shadow and Bone Netflix adaptation came out, so we figured we should get some live talking in, and we'd love if you'd join us for the ride. My name is Anjali. I'm Kat. And I'm JJ. Today,
1: we're talking about Dark Lena.
0: Today, we'll be discussing the Dark Lena ship, Alina and Alexander. One of my favorite Dark Lena quotes is the
1: famous one where the Darkling says to her, You might make me a better man. And she replies, And you might make me a monster. We have done name fun facts for both Alina and the Darkling. This episode's name fun fact is that the ship name, the name for the relationship between Alina and the Darkling, that was commonly used on the internet used to be a Larkling, and now it's Darklina, and that makes me feel really like a fandom old. (laughs) <laughs> do you have a preference between these two actually? Dark Lena is obviously a better word. One of the objections to it that I have seen is that it's really just Darkling with an A at the <laughs> end <laughs> instead of a G. And the other one puts Alina first. It doesn't bother me too much.
2: I'm just gonna share interject a fun fact when Eugene asked me when what episode we're doing today, and I said Dark Lena, and he's like, Oh, what do you think about kazina and like went through various iterations until he got to what do you think about alina the alina nina ship and so i think that's even worse than darkly in terms of subsuming one of the
0: participants uh, of the ship that's amazing it'd have to be nina Lena. that is better i think before we get too far into this one important thing to call out as a disclaimer is that this is a fictional ship We're not promoting relationship abuse in any sense. Like, this is really talking about a fictional relationship in books and a TV show. Yeah,
1: I am not worried about anyone getting stolen away by an 800-year-old magic sorcerer. But just in case, it's not something we're promoting. So... Tell us a little bit about what Dark Lena is like in the books versus in the Netflix show.
2: I actually think plot-wise the books and the show are very similar, like the same events basically transpire between them. The main difference is that you actually get to see the Darkling like when Alina's not in the room and Ben Barnes just have this like smile on his face or he's just clearly so tickled to be around Alina and so pleased and like so happy about the kiss whereas in the books he could have been theoretically acting that way or he could have just shut it off and stopped acting and you never know.
0: Yeah we get to see him being a little lovesick but one major part that stood out to me and I may have mentioned this before in previous episodes is that you actually get to see Alexander's Reaction to Alina and how he feels betrayed by her running away and not coming to him in the books that never really struck me the same way I always assumed he was just saying that to guilt her, but because of the way that Ben Barnes and the writers of the TV show chose to portray it, you get to see that he actually does feel like she betrayed him and that she's wronged him in a sense.
2: That's true. He's not only upset at her portrayal, he loses his shit a little bit, which is very out of character, I think, for Book Darkling to have ever lost control. And show Darkling goes goes a little crazy. Yeah,
0: and that led to the stupid showdown scene with Kaz that we talked about previously. Yeah, so in some ways, this relationship is sort of the
1: typical like, girl or young woman with the immortal man trope. I I did initially type immoral, which is also (laughs) a Freudian slip here. In interviews, I believe I have seen that Alina is mentioned to be 17. This is not confirmed in canon, and actually the math in canon doesn't support it. The math and canon supports her being more 18 or 19, depending. But like the Darkling, she doesn't know exactly how old she is. So it's unclear exactly how old Alina is supposed to be. We talked in the Darkling episode, we know the Darklings are at the 400 years old. Thus really making this the young woman,
0: older immortal man trope. It's one of my favorites. This is such a classic trope, right? This is starting with Zeus and his many human woman trysts. Like, we've seen this in so many other places, and it's actually strange how little we see the reverse, right? Where, especially, sorry, I should be specific, in hetero relationships where the woman is the kind of, like, powerful, immortal-esque person, and the man is, like, the younger human mortal. Can I just
2: ask, maybe I'm just not thinking of the right things, what are other examples of the tropes besides Greek and Roman mythology?
0: So, The Bear and the Nightingale is the one that I read recently. Another one that comes to top of mind for me is Ghost Bride, which I think I've recommended to you both before, too. Yeah,
1: Deathless is is another one, and Sarah J. Mass, a lot of her stuff as well.
2: I haven't read any of those, so it's all new to me. So just Zeus for you. (laughs) Just Zeus.
1: Well, Zeus, you get the Hades Persephone. It is a version of a thing that you also see in Fifty Shades of Grey. You have the more powerful, wealthier, wiser, kind of older mm-hmm. man
0: with a younger woman.
2: And of course, this <coughs> series, the series that Fifty Shades of Grey is based off of Twilight.
0: If we're taking out the immortal aspect, then it is probably the most common romance trope of all time, right? This is Cinderella. Yeah. Peasant. Stepdaughter situation marries a prince, right? Like, I think the immortal aspect is a really fun spin that we can definitely talk more about in a bit, but it does build off of this core kind of foundation of unknown girl meets man in a position of power, they fall in love. So, I think it's also worth talking about why is Dark Lena specifically so popular, like this version of the trope. One of the things that really struck me about what might make this
1: so popular, is that it is also a version of the soulmates trope. We see from the very beginning, both in the show and the books, how the Darkling is telling Alina that they are similar to each other, that no one else is similar to them, that their destinies are entwined, right? That this is something where together they will be able to do anything. I think that's more or less exactly what he says in the show. And one part of this uh, in both the show and the books is kind of the immortality aspect. We learn early on that Alina will be more or less immortal, although it is unclear to me in both the books and the show why that is believed to be the case. What we have is really this uh, sort of immortality, uh, yin-yang sort of light and darkness soulmates aesthetic trope.
0: Not to be overly academic, but a few years ago, I read this book called What Do Women Want? Adventures in the Science of Female Desire. And I actually thought it was fascinating. I highly recommend it. But one of the points that it really made and that stuck with me is that for most heterosexual women, what is the most like sexy is that feeling of being desired. And the Darkling is very good at doing that. In a less academic sense, what I love about the Darkling ship are things like he's someone who accepts her inner darkness, whereas it feels like Mal is like very kind of like, ooh, this is like you're going a little, you know, off the deep end for me. There's a little bit of that, like, trope of, like, that bad boy who hates everyone but only likes (laughs) you, and we could talk more about why the show broke that and it was annoying, but those are two of the things that kind of come immediately top of mind for me for why I loved it.
2: It's also the classic forbidden romance, which I think makes their physical scenes together, especially in uh, Shadow and Bones, spicy, shall we say? They're not supposed to be together. They're not supposed to be doing what they do. And that makes, I think, their connection all the more heightened and it, it increases the stakes, which makes it a more exciting relationship.
0: And I really felt that in the second and third books too, actually, when it's clear that he's the villain And they have this tether situation going on and he's visiting her in her bed and she thought it was Mal and it's like even more forbidden because she knows now like he's the villain. He's not the savior of the Grisha or whatever he was claiming. Absolutely. And there is this
1: other aspect of they, they don't actually have that much of a relationship in canon. It doesn't last very long. We see in the show, I think a lot of their actual romantic relationship is episode five. In the books, there's kind of this sudden kiss at one point, and then there's a makeout session, and then Alina runs away. And it's just these visits through the tether and kind of sexual tension after that. But there isn't that much of them together in a relationship. And I think that's part of... Honestly, I think that's part of the appeal, too, is we can just imagine there are so many what-ifs, I think we'll get into what-ifs later, (laughs) but we get to think about how this relationship might have played out in all of these different scenarios. And it's one of the things where canon really leaves you wanting more.
0: You're pulled
1: in and you don't really get a resolution.
0: Absolutely. I think the ambiguity is definitely a big part of the allure. I would also mention the plot twist between her making out and he's about to visit her, you know, in her room, to the actually he's the villain and you gotta get out of there was so sudden, it like it really just cut off the relationship at the knees that I think that is part of the allure too. I was like really invested in like, whoa, this is like a fun new relationship or romance <laughs> to explore. And then immediately cut off. And that doesn't happen if you think about it in most books. So that really drew me in.
2: One last thing I would add is that I think there are kind of hints that make their physical relationship really exciting in that there are hints of using magic in it, like on the boat in Siege and Storm. At one point he grazes her neck and so he pushes emotion into her via her collar and also literally via touch. And it's kind of this different sensation. So it's just fascinating and it's really cool. We as a group have talked about like in Alina and Mal's sex scene, they do use magic like he is her amplifier and they have that connection, but it's so subtle. Like honestly, I didn't realize it the first four times I read this book. I only over- <laughs> realized it because JJ mentioned it and then I explicitly had to go see what she was talking about, but I almost think like there's more attention paid to the potential of what sexual attraction could be with magic. In fused with it with the Dark Lena it
1: Yeah, that is such a good point. One of my big pet peeves of magic systems is when there are sex scenes in books with magic and magic is not used in the sex scenes it seems completely implausible to me if you were Grisha one of the first things you'd do would be figure out how to use that during sex like I, I firmly <laughs> believe that you think corporal key are just like oh yeah no we just like have regular sex like od Cazazia? like no absolutely not but I think Bardugo does a really good job there both with the darkling and I mean, I was looking for it in the scene with Mal, so I noticed it, because I always look for that. But it's at least in that scene as well.
0: Okay, before I hit you with the hard questions, we'll start with a more of a softball one. Do you think Alina is actually into the Darkling at some point? And after the reveal, how does she feel about him?
2: I think she's definitely into him before Bagra's revelation, I think to some extent. Her saying goodbye to Mal is paired with her opening up to the Darkling emotionally. And so I think she moves on in her head to this other possibility. And I think very quickly after Vagra's revelation, she sort of recoils in fear and maybe shame and like reverts back to, I wouldn't say being in love with Mal right away, but like repressing her feelings somewhat and being maybe ashamed of them and focusing more on the comfort Mal provides and the stability and trust. I will
1: say that at the beginning, she is clearly very into the idea of him. She does not know him at all. Mm-hmm. Like really, in in that first half of Shadow and Bone, on reread, I was struck by how much time he's just not even there. She doesn't really know him. In the show, she very much more gets to know him, and they have those kind of get to know you scenes in the Call Me There's Alex. There's some bonding scene.
2: moments. Yeah,
1: there are. And and so it seems like she actually gets to know him a little bit as a person. So in the books, I think she's very into the idea of him. She learns a little bit more about him and shuts, kind of shuts that part of herself off. And then over the rest of the books, I think she opens up more to him as a person. We see these a few moments that are much more vulnerable between them where she catches him by surprise. He tells her his name. There are a few more things like that, the why don't you leave me alone? Because I'd be alone too. And I think we start seeing her really understand and maybe empathize with who he is as a person over the other books. But kind of that that really the they could be together idea
0: is gone interesting not to stir the pot too much but i do think in the books it is unambiguous that she is into him at least up until the kind of big plot twist. And specifically what I'm thinking of is after he first kisses her by surprise, she is like thinking about that kiss nonstop. She wants to go around shouting to the other Grisha that I've just kissed the Darkling. But show Alina was way more ambiguous to me, even in the beginning. It felt like she was getting to know him And she was already a way more social character and outgoing. Like she talked to the other Grisha. So it kind of felt like her relationship with the Darkling in the show was like that, where she wanted to know more about him, become friends with him. And she was just generally a more take the initiative character in the shows we've talked about before. Like she's a lot lot more
2: confident. And I think the fact that she kisses him and takes him by surprise
0: for the first time versus the other way around, like changes the dynamic a little bit. It does change the dynamic, but what I was going to say about that part in the show is that I actually felt like she almost surprised herself when she kissed him. Like it not only took him by surprise, but it felt like it was just this spontaneous reaction to him feeling kind of sad and down on himself. She feels bad seeing him sad, so she reaches out and kisses him, and it didn't seem premeditated. It's like the inverse of that scene in the book, where the Darkling's kiss appears to take him by surprise.
1: I don't buy that. Totally.
0: All right. After the big plot twist, what are her feelings towards the Darkling after she finds out that he was trying to effectively enslave her?
1: Less positive.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, yes. Less positive. She's, you
2: know, very upset. She feels betrayed. But I do think the Darkling is, he's very manipulative. He's very good at guilt tripping. And I think he does plant some doubts. He plants those seeds when he actually gets to talk to her. And I I mean, I don't think she's totally on his side, but I think that it sort of sets the foundation for her thinking, like, maybe we are meant to be together. Like, I feel like she toys with that idea. Like, maybe I'm not meant for a normal life with Mal. Maybe my only option really is to be with the, the Darkling. And at the end of Siege and Storm, when she goes to make out with him in the middle of a church that's falling down around. To kill him. I <laughs> think she's okay with that choice at the moment. She's like, well I don't want this to happen, but I I see it now. It'll be okay. <laughs> and like that's not that's that's he had to set some foundation for that to happen.
1: Oh my gosh. We didn't even talk about the tether trope as being part of why this is so popular. As I think part of the Soulmates trope, they are literally bound, literally connected by this tether after she gets the antler collar. And so we see it starting in book two. And that's such a concrete way of showing the connection between two characters. They are connected to each other, like very much literally in a way that no one else is connected to either of them. Technically, we don't know no one else is connected to the Darkling. He tells Elena he knows a lot more about how this tether works. I think he's making it up. But we are at least led to believe that is a connection that only they share.
0: It kind of reminds me of this East Asian culture. I don't know if the right word is like maybe myth, which is that soulmates are tied together by this red string on your fingers. Mm -hmm. And this is their like literal physical way of being tied together as a tether.
2: Not to get too far afield here, but talking about the tether and how they're connected, it makes me wonder what's going to happen in season two of the show. Because in the show, Alina like kind of literally stabs the antler out of his hand. Sorry, it's so gross. I can't talk about the uh, (laughs) amplifiers in in the show without like kind of grimacing. But like, so technically, I don't think the tether exists, or at least as far as I could tell, like that connection is broken. And I wonder how a lot of the plot or how Alina and the Darklings conversations are even going to happen in the second season.
0: Oh, man, that's a great point. Yeah, because we have them
1: together on the boat in Siege and Storm. And then she next sees him physically at the spinning wheel where Bagra jumps off. And then the final battle on the fold. Yeah, I mean, that's that's, oh, no, he also attacks. Wait, he ta- the he little ad- palace. Yeah, he attacks Vasily's Nikolai's birthday party.
2: Vasily's yes. birthday, right? No, Nikolai. He attacks at the birthday party. He attacks
1: party. one of the Lantsov's birthday parties uh, at the little palace as well. I right.
0: think it was Nikolai because he makes a comment about how it wasn't even his worst birthday. God, <laughs> typical it Nikolai. So there was actually a point you just made earlier, Anjali, that I thought was pretty interesting. This idea that Alina has some sense of shame or embarrassment about her feelings towards the Darkling. That was really the sense that I got for how she felt about the Darkling after it was revealed that he was trying to enslave her, is that she was still compelled, like drawn towards him, but she could recognize it as such and was embarrassed by it. Like there's some moment where he basically tells her that she did a good job and she's like really annoyed with herself that the orphan in her, I think is what she puts it as, was pleased to receive a compliment from him. And so it feels like she's like very conflicted after the plot twist about how she feels about him. Yeah. So the more difficult question, do you think the Darkling is actually ever into Alina at any point? I think let's answer for the show first, because I think that's simpler, which is I think in the show. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yes, absolutely. You really see him falling for her. I think
0: that's confirmed in interviews. But I would say the other thing in the show that we see is that he's had other relationships, both with Luda, the healer in his past, and supposedly also with Zoya. I kind of alluded to this before. This is one of the things that it, as a book, Dark shipper was annoying, was that you kind of want him to think that Alina is special and unique, and he's never felt this way about someone before. And to have seen Luda and hear about him hooking up with Zoya in the past kind of breaks that wall
2: a bit i'll answer the harder question of is he into her in the books and i'll tell an anecdote about the first time jj and i talked about this series together i think i recommended it to you a a very long time ago oh yeah and oh um, and
1: fun fact since that's my brand but I remember messaging you and being like I don't know I don't know about this book and then I got to the makeout scene and I was like oh I get it this is a romance and you're like <laughs> sure <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah I was like I'm not gonna spoil anything for you but yeah so anyhow I remember we talked about this book one day in the office together and you were telling me how you are a Darklina shipper. And, like, I don't really go on Tumblr or Reddit or anything like that. So, like, I didn't really know that there were fandoms that existed. I didn't know people shipped Darklina. And I remember my jaw dropped. It was just like, what? You shipped the Darkling and Alita, But he's just so evil. And now, of course, you know, I kind of realize there's a lot that goes into it. I, I understand, as hopefully comes across in this episode. But, you know... I will that is all to say that at first I just I couldn't even under the con understand the concept of Book Darkling being into Alina because he does kind of awful things to her, but there's also the concept of like okay you have like a thousand-year-old being. At that point you're just kind of like jaded and like cold and removed from things. Why why would you be into Alina? And I think the show does a good job of illustrating why the Darkling is definitely into Alina. I think that smile that the Darkling gives when she kisses him, it's just so genuine when he says, like, I'm really taken by surprise by anything. And I think that as this kind of immortal being, he hasn't been surprised and she's something fresh and new and there's something charming that he's never experienced before. In the book, obviously, we don't see that. But I think there are... Two kind of reasons. One, JJ explained to me was that he's lived forever. He wants, potentially he wants a companion that will also be immortal for him. And he, maybe he's experienced attraction or love in the past. And those people have died and that's really depressing so maybe you don't want to open your heart up to anyone in the future but now there's potential for someone to actually be your partner in life and you don't have to worry about that so I think that's kind of an interesting compelling reason and then I really like this idea that like they're kind of opposites that balance each other out right he's the Darkling, obviously, he's a shadow summoner and she's the sun summoner. And I feel like their powers are kind of equal, but opposite. And obviously we've talked about their fate being intertwined, but I think their power and what they can do kind of is like this magnetic, two magnetic poles and they brings them together. And I can see him being attracted to her, both her power, like the extent of it, but like what it is and how it complements him. And I think that's a potential, yeah, that's like a potential reason that he's drawn to her. That being said, so those are my arguments for why I could see that he's into her. I do not in my heart believe that Book Darkling is into her. I think he's too cold i think he's too much of a user i think he maybe he wants to hook up with her but it's too convenient that he would both be in love with her and then also like wants to very conveniently she's the one thing that he can use to uh, further his plots and so i just think occam's razor it's more convenient for me to believe that he's just using her i know you two don't agree (laughs)
0: I, I wouldn't... I just think it's funny that you call that Occam's yeah. razor because I would say that it would be that he is into her as the simplest explanation.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I just think you have to do a lot of explaining to, to get to the point where he's both into her and like using her, where it's easier if he's just using her and pretending to be in love with her to further um, his ability to use her.
1: On reread, I think my theory about whether or not Book Darkling is into Book Elena is No. I think he's faking it in the beginning. He's just manipulating her. Like, to me, that is not really a question. But I think what we do see is the more she foils him, the more he gets intrigued by it. Because I do think it is this element of, like, surprise. He is not usually foiled. People don't usually ruin his plans. And so he kind of starts seeing her as more of maybe a worthy adversary and definitely intriguing. I do think this thing about them both being immortal is real for him, though. And I think that related to that, he doesn't have to be into her now. He's not worried about being into her now, he, just like he's not worried about her being into him now. At the end of Ruin and Rising, he's like, if it takes another lifetime, I'll break you. I'll just like set my mind to the task. He's not worried that Alina doesn't like him right now. And I think similarly, he doesn't feel... Like he needs to feel some overwhelming emotion for her that there's time for all of these things to develop as long as he gets her to be
0: there with him. So I, I don't think he understands honeymoon stages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... A you know, hundred years in, the honeymoon stage begins. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I will say part of one of the quotes that really struck me on Reread and just how cold he is, even at the very end of Ruin and Rising, after all this stuff where we do see that kind of the let me, it isn't real, almost make-out scene, we see there is something, like he does want her there. But then when on that final battle when the skiff when she finally becomes visible and he sees her and he grinds her wrist down onto the floor of the skiff with his boot and he says there you are hello Alina and it was (laughs) I read that and I was just blown away by how cold that felt like this isn't a like oh my gosh finally there you are I'm so glad to see you it was very much like okay I need to make sure you're here because everything else can come later, but like, get you
0: here now. That's hilarious. Listening to you describe this, it's basically like he's making his own arranged marriage for someone he's not yet in love with. Yes, but thinks he could become <gasps> over oh <my> time. <laughs> yes, this is hilarious. My take on the Darkling's feelings is, of course, the first time I read it, I. Was like yep he's into her this is super like twisted romantic on the subsequent rereads definitely questioning it objectively i would say i don't think he's into her and i know we don't talk about the second duology that much but especially in Rule of Wolves, when we get darkly in perspective chapters, <laughs> JJ's crying to herself over there. <laughs> darkly in episode part two, wait for it. But in his perspective chapters, he's just all about being this like endless being who's here for an eternity. And I just don't understand how someone who's been alive that long, could be anything more than like maybe at most like physically attracted to this 17 let's say like 19 20 year old girl like I just don't know what she would intellectually have to offer the only reason I hang on to Darklina is because of the ambiguity like I'm not 100% sure that he's not into her and that's what makes it so compelling. She doesn't
1: have anything at the beginning other than light which is just something he needs. Although the reasons for that are unclear as well. But I do think it's when she starts ruining his plans. That is something that she gives him that he does not get very much. There's nothing in the text to really support that his plans never get ruined. And certainly they don't always go the way that he wants. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in the situation that he is in the beginning of Shadow and Bone. But the fact... Where he's like dying and coming back every <laughs>
0: 150 <laughs> Yeah, years. and really
1: subservient to the Tsar. And... I think that probably the the hint that we get that this doesn't usually happen is when Alina's like, oh, I thought you didn't make mistakes. And he's (laughs) like, of
0: course I make mistakes. Just not very often. I still don't understand, or I guess I, I still don't believe that's enough to make him attracted to her. I think he's trying to crush her spirit. (laughs) <laughs> like, you know what people say about, like, break a horse? That's kind oh, yeah. of what he's doing. And you're right, like, at the end of Rune and Rising. Yeah, he says you what know, he was saying? So I don't necessarily know that he's actually romantically ever interested. I think it's a fun challenge, a new challenge for someone who's somewhat immortal. Yeah,
1: I think he thinks he could be some lifetimes down the line. So one of the things that Anjali mentioned earlier is the extent to which the Darkling really manipulates Alina. And for this, we'll focus primarily on book Darkling and... We talked a little bit about how the trope of this power imbalance between them is really compelling. And one of the things that I just really love here is we see how at the beginning of Shadow and Bone, the Darkling is really, he's just completely in control. He's bored by Mm -hmm. everything. There are no real challenges. We really see him manipulating Alina. And he knows that in the relationship between them, he has all of the power. He is the more powerful Grisha, he leads an army, he's second only to the Tsar, he's all of these things. He knows things things she could only imagine. (laughs) (laughs) It is, oh, that is so true. And one of the things that I love reading about in this relationship, and and really love seeing explored in fanfiction as well, is how the balance of power between them switches over the course of the books. We see Alina go from having no friends whatsoever, and like being miserable, to having an army that follows her. She becomes competent in the use of her power. She is able to make speeches to get people behind her. But what we see is as she gets more and more power, the darkling is not aware of it. So as the power balance in their relationship shifts, The Darkling continues to assume that he has almost all of the power in their relationship until the point at which we see being in Alina's head until way beyond the point at which it's reasonable for him to assume that he can control the situation. And so I think it's really interesting watching how that balance of power shifts and then Alina eventually uses that to kill him in the very end where she's actually able to stab him in a way where... If he had been if he had been a little bit more worried about her as an adversary, I think that he would have adequately protected against that.
0: I am curious though, Anjali, do you think that by the end he still doesn't consider her a full adversary?
2: I think he considers her an adversary. I think that as JJ said, he's underestimating her. And it's when his manipulation like isn't working as he planned you can see him be a little surprised i think by the end he's realized that she is playing chess like kind of like a different board but he's still not all the way there
0: i think the reason why i ask is because it often feels to me like he's really just preying on her doubts as in when he says things like, oh, an apt pupil, and it's almost like condescending, like, oh, that's cute. You think you figured something out. You know, nothing still. Or even after the battle at the end of Siege and Storm, he calls that a skirmish, deliberately, I think, to make her suddenly question herself and be like, if that was just a skirmish to him, like, how are we ever going to defeat him? So it's honestly, it's hard for me to tell Again, we know he's like the lying liar face of all time. Or is this his way of like taunting her and nagging her to kind of wear her down? Yeah, I mean, I think just the fact that he
1: says that thing about he'll break her if it takes another lifetime. He says that like a few minutes before she stabs him. Like right (laughs) up until the end, he really at least is talking the game. That seemed pretty genuine to me. Like he seemed pretty unconcerned about her right up until the end there. So what about consent in their relationship? One thing that is interesting is this really does seem different in the books versus in the show.
0: I actually really liked how Alina was much more proactive in taking the initiative so much in the relationship. Doing things like choosing to wear the black cuff, to initiating the kiss, telling him explicitly yes when he asks her, are you sure, presumably to continue and have sex? I thought that was a really nice change in her character. I guess it was necessary for the show because we're not in her head. It's hard to know what she's feeling about him. So to see her being so straightforward in her actions made it more understandable to me that, okay, she is, there's some kind of romantic interest developing here. That said, what we lose from that makeout scene in the show. Is we don't get that mixture of anger and desire that makes the book version of it like so hot, where he's like, oh, like oh, he's like growling at her, like, oh, I should be anywhere but here, but this is the only place I want to be. At. Sorry, I'm butchering these quotes, JJ. Please forgive me. <laughs> you, you don't want to be doing this. This is the only thing I want to be doing, and you hate that exactly. Exactly. And we lose that in this show. Do you think that was necessary to make this a more sex positive positive a consentful show or? I mean, I do. I do think we lose
1: that in the show. What we get to see is just incredibly enthusiastic, just like going for it, make out scene. So it is like a different kind of hot. For sure, I think the consent changes were absolutely necessary. The way it is written in the books is extremely not cool. The Darkling spring stuff on her is not waiting for an invitation. It's not even implied. The first time he kisses her is definitely read to me as you're asking too many questions. I'm going <laughs> to d- kiss you to distract you. And then after the winter fete, he's like, Did you really think I was done with you? Yanks her into the room, they start making out. I was really happy to see the consent changes. I think they could have gone farther with it. You know, in this case, Alina also surprises him with a kiss. I think there is more buildup. Like it is more clear in in the show that he would have been receptive to that, but it was still surprising to him. And I also think the are you sure is so ambiguous. Certainly good to check in with your partner. You always want to be checking in and getting that enthusiastic consent. And here, when I was watching that, I was like, are you sure that I can enslave you with a collar and use your light? We see later on, he's like, you said you wanted to give your power to someone else who uses it. And I I was envisioning him after that saying like, you said you were sure kind of this, <laughs> just like pulling out this like very vague statement and using it later.
2: Yeah. Speaking of, I find it Really hard to talk about consent in this show without mentioning the whole amplifier bit like I know that we're using consent as a shorthand for sexual consent, but I think that in the show like they make the. The fact that Alina is not consenting to have this collar put on her and not consenting for the Darkling to essentially use her as a slave, they really kind of make this visual allegory to, I think we mentioned in the first episode, it almost feels like a rape scene. It is so violating. It is so, it's gross. In the show, they really do kind of make it clear that physically she gave her consent and that's great. And I think it makes their relationship like, slightly more palatable but it's not balanced out right (laughs) like it doesn't take away like kind of the awfulness of what he does to her later and that's Mm -hmm. always been my huge stumbling block with the dark lena relationship is that i can never really get past what he does to her with the amplifier
1: yeah i think that the sexual consent in the books is more or less absent, (laughs) I I would say. Alina's into making out with him, but then when he asks, he does ask, can I come to your room later? But she doesn't answer, but she assumes that he's gonna come anyway. But then the scene where he uses her light does not feel anywhere nearly as violating in the books. She doesn't like it. She doesn't like any of this, but I didn't get anywhere near that sense of like, a personal, physical violation in the way that you really see in the show. And especially that contrast is so stark.
0: I think in the show, they really saved these violations of consent for the amplifier and magic sorry small science (laughs) aspects of it rather than the romantic relationship parts i'm also curious since the show generally is more sex positive and less of the slut shaming that we kind of saw in the original books if they're going to remove the parts where the darkling taunts alina in front of mal or how they're going to treat those scenes
1: i i think that would be really curious they definitely they removed even the, the light slut shaming that mal did in shadow and bone like He's all over you. His color, whatever that was yeah. that I did yeah. not find endearing
0: when he runs into Alina in the Little Palace. He doesn't even run into her in the Little right. Palace in the show. Right. He runs into the Darkling. Yeah. And we get this whole new scene that doesn't happen in the books.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I, w- I was really glad to see that they removed that. And I'm, I I think it will be interesting to see exactly how they work the the rest of it. I do think the the scene between the darkling and mal where the darkling's like, I'm not worried about you because I just don't have to be. Like sure she can fall in love with you, but eventually like she's gonna come around to me. I think that will be really interesting to see how they handle that.
0: And I think we actually see the way that Lee Bardugo treats or has her male characters treat their female partners actually evolves in the books too. Specifically, I'm thinking of the difference between the first trilogy with Alina, Mal, like everything we've talked about, and Nina and Matthias in Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom, where Matthias learns that she's been working at the White Rose, presumably as a sex worker, but thinks to himself, that's not my business. And they never even have a fight about it. They don't really talk about it besides one time when she tells him that she stayed in Ketterdam for him working at the White Rose, but it's like night and day compared to the Malin Alina scenes. Yeah. Again, healthiest ship in the Grisha verse. So one of one of my favorite sort
1: of potential things that we really see with Alina is this potential for a corruption arc. And we see this begin after she gets the second amplifier, she's getting more power hungry. She really wants this third amplifier. And she's willing to, you know, kill the firebird, the symbol of Ravka to get it also willing to kill her best friend slash lover in the end. But I think what we see there is this potential for Alina is worried that she is becoming more like the Darkling. And I think this is also part of what makes it so intriguing. This is the, you might make me a better man, you might make me a monster. And I think part of the reason that I find this idea of Alina becoming more like the Darkling so intriguing is that I'm actually not convinced that what Alina thinks of herself as being when she becomes a monster is actually that bad. Through the books, most of what we see, the power-hungriness is really in her head. She's worried about the things that it might make her do rather than the things that it does make her do. She snaps at Bagra, but like, I, I don't know. That, that seems pretty understandable. but <laughs> no, it's Bagra. Bagra has been incredibly abusive towards her. I'm like less concerned about that than about we, we don't see it coming out that much in the way she's treating other people. Or, or the things she's really willing to do. She still vomits when she has to kill someone. And I, I think that she's starting to get really shocked and concerned about her impulses, and is very much worried of turning into the Darkling to that extent. But I think that this is very different from the Darkling, who is not at all worried about those impulses. And so I do think this kind of, she could be his balance, and she worries, but then who would balance me? And I do think we see them set up in such a way where it could be a really good balance. Her moral code will shift slightly. And I think that will come with being immortal. But we'll really see her essentially like reigning in the Darkling in a way that feels like it could be a very compelling relationship dynamic.
0: That's a great point. Yeah, I do think if you become immortal or close enough to immortal, your moral compass is going to shift because you're going to be seeing things more in a long game than you would be able to if you only were living like ninety, one hundred years tops.
1: But we see them starting from a really different point. Alina vomits when she has to kill someone, even though she was in the military before this. He's she a really map has maker. <laughs> Well, but still, I mean, I assumed eventually she's going to flunk out of map making and she's going to get put in infantry. But we see her caring about this. We really see her like moral code and like this idea of what is right being strong to her. Whereas in the Demon in the Woods, we very much see the Darkling not having that. He didn't seek out Grisha, Grisha children to kill. He did do it when he had to. And then he was like, "Okay, how do I cover this up? And it results in a lot of other people being killed. And he has this moment where he's like, "Uh," and Bagra's like, no, that's totally fine. Killing all those other people is absolutely worth it. And so I think we really see them from this young age, just like having these different moral codes that makes me less concerned that Alina will turn into the Darkling.
0: Yeah, I mean, from a psychological standpoint, I think if you have this understanding of good versus evil and it weighs on your conscience, it is... Extremely unlikely to me that you could morph into some sort of psychopath. Agreed.
1: Can we get to favorite what-ifs? We mentioned at the beginning, Darkling and Alina don't actually have that much in canon. It's pretty cut short. So what are the what-ifs that are so interesting to explore in this relationship?
0: I think one of my favorites is what if Bagra hadn't come to tell Alina to escape that night? I, I feel really surprised, I think still, that Alina was so quick to believe Bagra and escape when she'd been literally making out about to have sex with the Darkling, both in the show and presumably in the books. So I'm really curious what would have gone down.
2: I mean, I've mentioned this before, but... I basically think that if there had been no interruption and they ended up having sex, I think that he would have been able to successfully manipulate her into kind of bending to his will. I think that a lot of Alina's character development comes after she flees the little ballast and she's forced to fend for herself and like make moral reckonings for the things she does and she's forced to stand up to the Darkling and I I don't know if she would have had enough strength strength at that point to resist him especially because he is a master manipulator and he's very good at making what he does seem right and like the only option.
0: I think maybe to follow up on that I guess I'm curious if this whole interruption by Bagra had never happened and they found the antler if he'd still have killed the stag and forced it on her to try and enslave her because he doesn't actually do that with Zoya or Ivan or any of the other Grisha that we see him kind of help give amplifiers to. I
2: think he would have still done it. And the reason I believe this is just following up on our Kaz episode when we were talking about the incredible similarities between the Darkling and Kaz and Kaz's need to control all the variables in a situation. And I do think we don't get to see the Darkling's point of view, but I believe he also has that too. And I think it just would have been a too big of a loose end to let Alina have free will with all that power. It's possible if they were very deeply in love and their relationship had progressed, maybe he would trust her, but it doesn't seem too likely to me. Yeah,
1: I, I do think there's a difference here between book and show. I could totally see in this show, if Bagra hadn't shown up and things had progressed sexually, I actually could see him trusting her enough to tell her about the attempt on her life to explain, like, what he was going to try to do. I think she would talk him out of doing exactly the thing that he did. But she may have ended up, I guess, meeting him a little bit in the middle if she knows that these people had attempted to kill her. I think that would have changed her perspective a little bit. And I think there is a possibility for writing the show where she kills the stag and has that power. And that is their choice together. Another what if I really like is what if the Darkling had been the third amplifier? I think that was like more logical to me than Mal being the third amplifier, but I think it sets up potentially really interesting conflicts where I know he is, they don't say the word immortal, but perhaps he is too immortal to be killed. Or maybe Alina is too immortal to kill him because then she realizes she'll be alone. And I think it sets up like a really interesting tension around what she would do there and how that would change the dynamics of their relationship.
2: I believe if that happened if those caveats were true maybe they would have found a way to actually team up together to use power to do like the big displays together like maybe over time they would have just naturally become allies in some way because they realized they needed each other
1: so on to the lightning round how do we feel about dark lena
2: all right I'll be short and sweet just because I'm not a dark lena shipper I am a am shipper, but I don't believe in raining on anyone's parades. So you guys let your Dark Lina you know, flags fly. I am I think it's just, I will never get past the enslaving part. Like, I just, I can't get on board with the relationship because I can't ever see how Alina could fully trust him, which is, I think, a requirement for the relationship.
0: I think that's part of what makes it kind of hot, <laughs> is that they can never fully trust each other. <laughs> Enemies to lovers. Um, and even when you're lovers, there's enemies. still a little bit of that mistrust, distrust, back to enemies. Enemies with benefits. <laughs> so I do think it's a little bit cliche that it's literal light and darkness for these powers. That said, I'm obviously overall a Lena shipper. I think the ambiguity is really what does it for me in combination with what JJ was saying earlier, even though I was kind of devil's advocating it. I actually really like how the power imbalance changes over time, and it goes from the super obvious man in position of power and girl who's a nobody coming from nowhere, they become more and more equals over time. I really like that. I would say the one thing I wish we'd seen more of, or maybe this kind of feeds into the ambiguity that I enjoy, is... We never actually see Alina grapple with any questions of how the Darkling feels about her if he's actually interested in her after the first book. And I thought that was interesting when he's kind of toying with her through the tether. She doesn't reflect on that very much, at least from what I can remember. And I would have expected if I were her, I would definitely be questioning like, wait, is he interested in me? Is this just like a game to him? And she doesn't seem to worry about that or think about it.
1: That's interesting. She really
0: doesn't. We should go back and like do another reread, but I, I, maybe it's part of Bardigo trying to keep the is the Darkling interested in Alina question as ambiguous as it is. But we don't really see what Alina thinks of that question herself, even though we're in her head the entire trilogy. Mm. JJ, what <laughs> do you think of this couple? I really enjoyed reading this relationship. I think the
1: potential is incredible. I've talked about that extensively in the episode, so I won't rehash it all. But I think, as Kat mentioned, there's so much ambiguity in exactly what is going on with both of them pretty much the entire time that I just think it leaves so many doors open to explore. I would say I think this is exactly the sort of relationship that fanfic was invented for. And there have been so many fanfics published, especially since the show came out, that it's really been delightful to see a lot of the, the creativity going on here.
0: Okay, this week's Kiss, Mary Kill. Book Darkling, Show Darkling, Show Ivan. <sighs> so
1: I found Show Ivan a little bit disconcerting because I hated Ivan in the books so mm-hmm. much. And seeing him in a relationship with Fedor, who I really liked in the show, I was just like, Fedor, you deserve better. And I think Ivan is like played well in the show, but I'm not sure I can even get over my dislike of Book Ivan to not kill Show Ivan. So I would kill Show Ivan. I would make out with Book Darkling. We know that goes well. And Show Darkling, I think I could outmanipulate. Like I, <laughs> he seems so romantic. <laughs> yeah. These marriages in this section are historically not about romance, <laughs> but I think he has a much more human side that I could work to get there.
2: All right. I would marry show Darkling. I think he's got a heart charming. Ben Barnes is a very aesthetically pleasing portrayal of the Darkling. I do not think I could outmanipulate book Darkling. So I'm going to kill him because he's an unknown element and who knows what he would try to do to me. And then I guess I would kiss Ivan, who is, he's not the greatest, but he's kind of just like a brute force evil, like, and you could just hit it and quit it and then you're done with Ivan. It's fine.
0: This section was worth it just to hear Angela say that. <laughs> yep. Agreed.
2: That phrase play has never left my mouth before.
0: Yeah. I would also marry Show Darklane in part because of the Ben Barnes aspect. He also brings her flowers. Love that. (laughs) we love to get flowers all the time. And specifically I'm choosing Show Darkling to marry over Book Darkling because like you both said, it does seem like Show Darkling actually loves Alina slash is capable of loving. That's kind of a key criterion that I would consider in a relationship. I think the other aspect that's maybe kind of weird to bring up, but Show Darkling is played by, I think Ben Barnes is 38. I don't feel great about marrying someone who supposedly only looks a year or two older than 17. <laughs> I think that would be very, lead to a lot of uncomfortable situations, even if he's actually 800 years old. So now I'm kind of torn between who's getting the kiss versus the kill. I think I'm gonna have to be kind of born and go with the JJ side hook up with Book Darkling, his scenes are just so hot. I mean, that's kind of the reason that really pulled me into the verse. And Ivan is getting offed.
2: At least we didn't all agree this time.
0: Yeah, thanks, Anjali. Thanks for taking one for the team, <laughs> aka Ivan. <laughs> Well, thanks again so much for joining us this week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe or leave us a review and a rating.
2: And if you have any questions for us or any ideas for future topics we should cover, please drop us a line at crowclubpod at gmail.com.